This podcast contains explicit material that may not be suitable for all listeners. For those of you brave enough to stick around, enjoy the show. Welcome to the We Still Booze Podcast, brought to you by WideRightNattyLight.com, your one-stop Iowa State online blog shop. Throw me the bootleg and I'm gone. Then I take a few steps and I do left and the people take a deep breath and I'm up in your end zone. 816 boys, we rep and connected with Iowa State. Play out a position and it's checkmate if you Welcome Iowa State fans to another edition of the Wide Right Natty Light Podcast. Uh, this is going to be all bracketology talk once again. Uh, Iowa State has gone on a little bit of a tear here since last time we had our friend Shelby Mass, USA Today bracketologist on. So we're going to bring him on in just a little bit. Uh, Cyclones have been winning as of late. Just recently picked up another road win, their fifth conference road win of the year at Texas Tech. So we'll be asking him what that means for the Cyclones going forward. Shelby, this time of year, how much how much sleep do you get on a given night? Uh, if I'm lucky, about five hours. That's what I hope for. Do you do most of your most of your work after the after the games are over at a given night, or or in the morning? Because I know you update your your bracket daily. I do what I can at night, and then when my body says nope, go to bed, then I go to bed. Uh, I'll finish the, the late games, the second bank of games, not the West Coast late games. I can't do that. Uh, and then I'm up between 4.30 and 5 every morning to, to catch up on what I didn't finish the night before and then post away. So since we talked to you last, I think last time it was a matter of our conversation of if Iowa State was going to get into the tournament, would it be fair to say that our conversation tonight will be centered around where they'll be placed seating-wise. I think so. I have locked them in as I, – I, I can never guarantee a team's going to be in kind of where they're at right now, but I don't think that they can do anything to play their way out of the tournament because their remaining games are solid games. They're playing at Baylor – or sorry, home against Baylor, home against Oklahoma State at West Virginia. If they lose any of those games, those are all top 30 RPI teams. Uh, there's no shame in that. Now, you'd like to get at least the win against Oklahoma State, but you know, losing, it's not like you're playing, I hate to say this, but Oklahoma or Texas this year who are uh, bad RPI teams. Uh, if they were to lose to those teams, yes, that would hurt them, but these are good teams they're playing, and I don't think they could play their way out. So a couple of weeks ago, Iowa State fans were kind of clamoring for a way to – just get to nine or ten conference wins. They're they're worried whether that would be good enough. Uh, fast forward a couple of weeks, and they're already at ten conference wins uh, with three games to go. If I'm hearing you correctly, uh, we we hope, and I don't think I anticipate them losing the rest of them. But you're you're saying even if they would go in three in the stretch, that they should be on the right side of the bubble. I think so. Yeah, because if you know, again, if they lost to a bad team then that could be worrisome. But they don't have any bad teams left on their schedule. And I don't think uh, the way the Big 12 Conference is going to line up their uh, their tournament. Let me see who – it's looking like they're going to play probably Texas Tech, maybe TCU, Kansas State, teams that are in currently in the top 100 of the RPI. 
Uh, even if Texas Tech were to slip right outside, they've, they've done enough this year to be considered a, a pretty good team. So four losses in a row puts them at 18 and 13. I think that gets them in. So outside of the, the Kansas win, which was just a gigantic win and maybe one of the most impressive wins from anyone this year, in this recent stretch to you, which win has helped them out or maybe catapulted them up onto the right side of the bubble and in the conversation of, of seeding now? Probably at Kansas State because Kansas State is still a, a bubble team. There's, there's evidently several other people that have them in. I don't right now. They're my first team out. But Kansas State is a pretty solid team. Uh, and so to go on their home court and win, and I think that gave them the sweep. Yeah, it did. So they yep. swept Kansas State. That's, that's an important thing. One of the things the committee looks at is, have you beat any team that's in the tournament? And so you got Kansas, you got Oklahoma State, who's probably going to be in. Miami, who I think is going to be in, that's a big one. That's an out-of-conference game against a, a, a good team. Not a great team, but a good team. Uh, Kansas State, who is maybe. TCU is maybe. Uh, other than that, no. But still, that's enough wins against teams that are in the tournament. Uh, that's a criteria that the, the committee looks at. Iowa State plays Baylor at home on Saturday they had a nail-biter in Waco, just about took down the Bears when they were, I believe, second in the country. Uh, it's kind of a fight for that second and third place. They're all tied right now at second place with West Virginia. A lot of people will talk about conference standings and its importance in getting into the tournament. How important really is your place, your final destination in the conference standings when it comes to seeding and whether or not you're going to get into the tournament? It's not important. It's not something the committee even looks at. Uh, they might a little bit with the Big 12 and the Big East because they play true double round robins. These other big conferences that have too many teams, they play an unbalanced schedule, so they don't get everybody twice. Um, but with the Big 12, it is important. Now, last year we saw where where you finish, usually where you finish in conference will kind of dictate where you're seated. So if you're third in the Big 12, you're going to be seated ahead of the fourth-place team but behind the second-place team. And that didn't play out last year with Texas and Iowa State and I think Baylor. Those three kind of were a little bit off. So that stresses to me, again, where you finish in conference doesn't matter. What your conference record is doesn't matter. It's who you beat along the way, especially outside of conference, because those are games that you set up for the most part uh, you control who you play. When you're in the conference, you don't set your schedule up. Um, I had somebody come back and tell me, well, that's if you don't like your teams, then you go to a different conference. Well, that's yeah, that's true, but that's easier said than done. It takes a long time to get to a different conference. You're talking about the next year where the coach or whoever is going over other teams and, and setting up schedules, calling these other coaches and saying, hey, let, let's play. So they, if they don't challenge themselves enough, then that'll, that'll, they'll be penalized for that. Um, Iowa State's done a good job with that. So right now you have them as a as a sixth seed. Uh, just recently, I think last time we talked, uh, they were on that ten line. Uh, you had them as maybe a nine seed, but had to move move them down for bracketing principles. At this point, what do you think is a realistic ceiling for Iowa State? 
feed-wise? I, I, th- I think their ceiling is probably a five. I, c- I don't know if they can get into that top four. Those are some pretty good teams up there, and not a knock on Iowa State, but I don't see them in the same class as Purdue, UCLA, Butler, West Virginia. Doesn't mean they can't beat them, but overall what they've done throughout the year, uh, I, I think those teams up there uh, and the teams that would be considered for that seed range have done a little bit more than what Iowa State's done. Uh, a five or six seed, if I was them, I'd prefer a six because then you're playing a three seed the next round uh, and then a two seed. You don't have to face that one seed till the uh, lead eight. You kind of read my mind there because that was going to be my next question was a lot of times fans get caught up in the higher the seed, the better. I think we've, we've seen it play out how it's maybe not necessarily what your seed is, but who you're paired up against. So if I'm hearing it right, you're, you think at this point, your sixth seed, you'd have a better chance just because you're, you're going up against uh, the threes and the twos. Who are some of those teams that you're thinking could end up in that three seed range? Three seed, my current three seeds are Florida, Kentucky, Arizona, and Duke. None of those would be easy, but I think they'd be a little bit easier than the two seeds. Uh, I, two seeds, I currently have Florida State, Louisville, Baylor, Oregon. And I'm torn on the Florida State-Arizona. I can see Arizona moving up to the two, Florida State down to the three. But the committee really likes top 25 RPI wins, and Florida State has five. Arizona has one. That that could be the difference if it comes down to it between those two. But either one of those teams are going to be good teams. Um, but I'd rather play those than the one seed. You mentioned top 25. Top, We've talked about top 50. Uh, RPI wins. I've got kind of a little beef with with the RPI, and I know you do most of your stuff based on the RPI. Maybe not necessarily because you think it's the best metric, but it's because what the committee uses, which at the end of the day is most important. But I'm looking at Iowa. Uh, it kind of fluctuates based on where Kansas State falls. They could have uh, three top 50 RPI wins at this point. That doesn't look that impressive when you turn and you look at Ken Palm. Uh, teams ranked in the top 50 there, they have eight top 50 wins. So do you think think the committee would look at some of these other metrics in terms of ranking these teams, and do they look to see whether – do they extend it past 50 to 51 or 55 in order to to gain a better metric? Yeah, there's no set uh, cut line, so to speak, whether you know, top 25 win – if they've got a win against, say, number 27 or 28, that's, you know, still under consideration. That's still a very good win. If they don't just say, okay, that team's outside the top 25. That one doesn't count as good. Um, Kansas State's a team that, you know, every, I think everybody would agree that they're a pretty good team. So they're not going to get points taken away, so to speak, for sweeping them, even though they're not inside the top 50. That's a conference opponent that's a good team. Um, they'll, they'll look favorably on that. Based on based on the RPI and where we have them seeded now, and then some some other metrics like we've mentioned, do you think uh, we're just talking about the strength of Iowa State's team and how they're playing right now? Not worried about their resume because you, your seeding is based on your resume. Uh, do you think Iowa State will be overseeded, underseeded, or, or seeded just about where their strength actually is? I think the committee, they usually do a pretty good job. You'll find a few anomalies every year. There'll be some team that everybody thinks is overseeded, shouldn't be in or whatever, and then some that 
maybe uh, are underseated or you know should be much higher or whatever. Uh, I, what the committee does, they know going into it that they're gonna they're gonna be hated when they come out of it because everybody has a high opinion of their own team for the most part. Um, but they do in what time they have to get this bracket done. Um, they do, I think, as good a job as you possibly can. A lot of people, we talked about RPI, a lot of people don't like it. It's a flawed system. There's no doubt about it. But there is no perfect system. So how do you try and figure out who the really good teams are and who is not as good, who's mediocre, who, you know, who deserves to be that last that large team in over somebody else? And the beauty of the committee I like, they vote on it. Ten people and they're voting on these teams. So it's not one person or so that's really pushing for a certain team. It's a it's a vote, and if they if a team gets enough votes, then there you go, they're in. And I, you know, trying to get ten people to vote a certain way, um, non political, uh, that's a tough thing to do. These guys are going to have their own opinions. They're going to use their own metrics, and that's that's what I'm trying to figure out what they're going to do. I'd read an interesting piece one time. Uh, I'm not sure if it uh, was an article or, or a tweet or just a comment. Someone had suggested the idea of uh, the, the the people that see these teams the most and the most live sometimes are the officials. And they were suggesting possibly letting officials have a seat at the table when it came to selecting what they figured were the strongest teams. Is that opening up uh, Pandora's box to a lot of other issues, or, or what do you think would be the merit behind that? How do you pick which ones the which official gets to sit there? I, I, especially that time of year when they're going, you want your best official officiating those conference tournaments. So that would mean that the best official that deserves to be there the most would be repping a game somewhere. I don't know if I like that or not. I do think that those guys might know it a little bit better. But I think their perspective might be skewed a little bit because they're actually out on the floor and they're seeing things that maybe the general public or the committee doesn't see. Uh, maybe they have a beef against the coach. You know, that, that's something they got to sure. think about too because we, we all know that does happen. Sure. When we talked about being overseeded versus underseeded, uh, the – the opinions after that, if you get a team that's dramatically underseeded, um, a lot of times people say that that's the team that, you know, a team maybe has the strength of a six seed and gets placed on the 10 line. Uh, they said that it's been a detriment to them. Uh, to me, that's more of a penalty to the seven seed that they would have to face rather than them possibly facing an 11 seed. Would you agree? I agree. Yeah, I mean, that, that doesn't hurt that team. That possibly makes their route to uh, however far they're going to go maybe a little bit easier. There's some of these teams that don't want to be the two or the three seed because of the competition they would possibly play. They'd prefer to be four, five, six because it's not necessarily easier, but a better chance for a win in the second or third round. Well, speaking of, speaking of kind of other uh, theories out there in terms of selection and placement of teams, uh, I think it's Andy Glockner sometimes does a does a mock draft when it comes to tournament teams. They've selected the 68 teams in the field, and then they let the highest seeds pick their spot. 
do you think we would ever at any point see anything like that? And how dramatic would that be to have teams picking who they're playing against? I can't imagine that would ever happen. But what uh, what the committee did say they're doing this year, the number one overall seed gets to pick which region they go to. So that's kind of new, but I don't think that's that big of a deal because right now Villanova is the number one overall seed for me. Obviously, for travel purposes, to get their fans in the building, they want to be in that east region where they're in New York. There's no reason they would pick any other region. So, I mean, that, that, it's kind of nice honor for the one seed to have, the number one overall, but I don't think it really matters because the focus on the bracket in the last few years, they're stressing to try to make travel as easy as possible. That's why the S-curve went away. I still get lots of questions about why do I have a certain team somewhere because they fall on the S-curve at this place. Well, the S-curve doesn't exist anymore. They don't follow that, um, but they, they, it's by location, and they do their best to try to make it uh, as easy as possible. And it's not always the case, but that's what they try to do. Most of the discussions about selection in these few weeks center around bubble teams, number one seeds. How important really is it uh, for teams to get those one seeds compared to a two? Because at, at first it seems like it's this dramatic advantage, uh, but when you think about it, they're still placed with a pre- pretty heavily skewed um, favor in terms of playing a 15 or 16. I know one seeds have never lost to a 16 seed, but is it really as big of a deal as some are making it out to be in terms of whether a team is a one versus a two? <clears throat> I think that's the only difference is, uh, one, you want to have that trophy on your mantle, so to speak, that, hey, we were a one seed, uh, and a one seed has never lost a first-round game. You don't want to be that two seed that loses to a 15 uh, because it's a bit embarrassing and, you know, there were high hopes for your team. But, um, no, I, I, you know, being a one seed, I, I've had a lot of questions this year about Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga is probably going to end up on the one line. Um but it doesn't matter if they're the number one overall, the number two overall, number three. They're going to be on the West Coast. They're going to be in a favorable pod. They're going to play a 16 seed. So if they're the number one overall or the number four overall, that it, that doesn't factor in. So maybe they just want to say that they were the one overall. But you know, again, it doesn't really matter. One last question for you here with this the bracket reveal. I know you were a little skeptical at first of uh, the committee releasing the, the top 16 and kind of what, what good it really served and possibly what they would do in the future. Uh, a couple of questions. Did you watch the reveal? And then what were your thoughts about it after seeing it, how it was done? I did watch it. Uh, a couple of things that stood out to me. The big 10 is not as highly valued as a lot of people think. They had no teams in the top 16. Uh, they did mention a couple that uh, my guess is they were the five seeds. Uh, they didn't say that, but they said they did mention four teams that were under discussion for the four line. So to me, that means those are the five seeds, uh, which that doesn't bode well for the bubble teams in that conference, the Michigan, Michigan State, Indiana, teams like that. The, if the Big Ten is not looked upon as highly then wins and losses against those teams are not – or wins are not valued as high. Losses are kind of maybe penalized a little bit more. Uh, and kind of opposite that, the Southeast Conference, Kentucky and Florida were both three seeds. 
I thought that was a bit high for them, but I, I'm okay with it. Um, but that bodes well for bubble teams from the Southeast Conference. They may get more teams in than a lot of people think. I don't think any of our listeners will lose any sleep over the Big Ten uh, being devalued at all. I think they, they kind of got a kick out of that, uh, especially now that uh, Iowa isn't going to be getting into the NCAA tournament too. I think they'll, that'll bring a smile to their face. So have our fans been uh, treating you a little bit more respectfully on, on Twitter as of late as, as they've been winning? I, I have not heard anything, so I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> no news is a good news sometimes. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Well, Shelby, we appreciate you coming on again. Uh, I know you're busy with a lot of speaking engagements, but it's good to uh, bring you on. You know your stuff, and uh, we'll look forward to hopefully seeing Iowa State They've already climbed a lot in your bracket here recently and possibly get a couple more big wins and uh, get up into even better shape, and then we can start looking forward to uh, what types of opponents they might face and how deep they can go. All right, sounds good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. That was Shelby Mast. He's the USA Today bracketologist. You can catch his uh, bracket updated daily at bracketwag.com. We'll put put that in the show notes with a link and his Twitter handle. Uh, he's watching all these games, updating daily. Uh, he does a really nice job, and we appreciate you him coming on. Uh, go ahead and give him a follow on Twitter and uh, play nice. That's it for signing off. This is Austin. Uh, I go by Clone Teach on the site. Have a good evening. by any of the 108 Atlanta area O'Reilly Auto Parts stores where you'll find everyday low prices on the parts you need to keep your vehicle at its best. Our guaranteed low prices ensure you're always getting our best deal. In fact, we'll match any auto parts store's price on any like item. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. by any of the 108 Atlanta area O'Reilly Auto Parts stores where you'll find everyday low prices on the parts you need to keep your vehicle at its best. Our guaranteed low prices ensure you're always getting our best deal. In fact, we'll match any auto parts store's price on any like item. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.